welcome to the second Cold Tide podcast with me, James. And me, James. And today's podcast has a very special subject. He is a four-time Golden Globe Award winner, seven-time British Academy Film Award winner, two Grammy Award winner, five Academy Award winner, and the guy whose score for Star Wars gives it away won the uh, was voted the best score of all time by the American Film Institute. It's John Williams. John Williams. I feel like we should have had an audience here and then we could have had some applause. I might, I'm going to layer some applause in. So if you've already heard the applause, it's because I'd planned to add it in and I've had to retroactively do that. So John Williams, we're going to dive straight in to a podcast about the greatest composer of all time. I would say so. Yes, very much so. I, w- I think he is. Just film or greatest composer? I don't know. I, d- I don't know if it could be a greatest composer because, you know, you've got your Beethovens, Tchaikovsky's, etc. But he's got to be up there because he's, he's a contemporary version of those, isn't he? Uh, yes, that's true. And and I think he's got something up on those guys in that his music provides context to a narrative. Mm, yeah. So you associate stories with his music. Mm. Gives it a bit more power. Yeah, well, if I could go into that a bit more. That'd go be on, good, go into it. But... um. The late motif is is heavily associated with uh, with John Williams, which was originated from Wagner Wagner, I believe. Wagner uh, from the X Factor. Wagner, <laughs> yeah. Um, and the late motif, if you not to kind of talk about technical stuff and bore anyone, but it's basically it's a guiding motif. So it will it is what you apply to certain characters, so certain themes and repetitions, um, and applying to characters. So you know when you think of the Imperial March in Star Wars, you think mm-hmm. of Darth Vader and. He is the the contemporary version of that, and a lot of you see it in operas, yeah. Um, and obviously, you saw it in very early music, such as Beethoven. Blah. So, I've got a list of topics that I'd like to cover in relation to John Williams. I've got it in a book that I'm holding out in front of me now, which you can't see, and who cares? Uh, so, I'm just going to dive straight in and ask you a question, James. Okay. And that is, what does it mean to be a John Williams fan? And can you talk a bit about his style and what that means to you as a John Williams fan? It's a it's a very very good question and it's hard to summarize because he is um he he is our entire um lifehood of films you know when when you think of a film of every sort of two or three years of your life he has been there he is he is he is the one isn't he and he, I read somewhere as well that I think eight of the top twenty grossing films of all time were scored by John Williams. <laughs> So almost half, then. exactly, pretty much half, almost half by one person. So you know, and you you put that into context over the years. That's what Star Wars, Jurassic Park, um, Jaws, Jaws, obviously, yeah. Um, and I think it's like I touched on in our first podcast. I think you apply, um, you apply your own nostalgia and emotion to it, don't you? And because we've lived through it, you're connected to him, and you. Mm-hmm. But I think the main thing about John Williams is that he he captures emotion uh, and character so well like better than anyone else I think I think he's absolutely amazing at that um yeah I think that's what sets him apart really some people say about film music that um you know when it's doing its job when you don't notice it yeah but I think that's absolute rot mm. and if you're a John Williams fan uh you you have to think the opposite and it's not that 
John Williams' music calls attention to itself mm. and therefore calls attention away from the film. Mm. It's just you know that it's there and you mm. know that it's doing something to add to what's happening in the film. Yeah, but when, I know I, I completely agree with you, but what you're talking about is the main themes, isn't it? But then when you actually think about the score in the other parts, you don't mm. hear it, you just feel it. That's true. Because when you think when you when we're now talking about John Williams, we're we're actually talking about his main title themes and and, yeah. and things that we know. But when you actually look at the intricacies of the scores, you you don't hear him, do you? You just feel it, and that's and you're right. He does. He just do, he does do his job, and he goes above it in creating these amazing themes as well. Mm-hmm. That's true. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, yeah, it does. So he's a bit of both, really. Yeah, he is. Um, but he had he does have these indelible themes that. You just can't forget. And th- what's so good about them, there's a, there is a lot of film music um, that doesn't actually work without the context of the film. Mm-hmm. But I would say the, the you know at least 90% of John Williams' music, mm. you don't need the film. No, no. And it still elicits the same feelings yeah. and emotions that you get when watching the scene, just listening back to the music. Yeah, yeah, you, you're so right. You've nailed it. And it's... Um, what, what I find amazing as well is that he he has openly said that he doesn't really like movies. Yeah, and doesn't go to see them. Yeah, which yeah. is so bizarre, isn't it? And it's you think, how does someone who is detached from films somehow become so synonymous in what they do? You know, it's um, that it's, it's pretty um, it's pretty crazy. I read an, an interview with him talking uh, about his work with Steven mm-hmm. Spielberg, Steven Spielberg, and um, he said, and I. I think this is crucial to what he creates. I don't know how to say this without backtracking a bit, so I'm going to backtrack a bit. <laughs> imagine you got given fine. <laughs> uh, imagine you got given a job to work with someone like Steven Spielberg to make music for a film. I would, make a, cup of, I would make a cup of tea for Steven Spielberg. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you'd be going out all out to impress someone like Steven Spielberg. It doesn't even have to be Spielberg, even if it was just someone, you know, up and coming like Ben Wheatley for example. Mm. You'd be you'd be like right. What can I do here to really impress him and show him what mm. I'm made of? But John Williams gave a really good quote, and I think it's key to him being so great in what he does, which is that on collaborating with a film director, you shouldn't compete or try to impress each other. You should just have fun with each other. Yeah, I think that's it's that's probably some of that comes from what you just said about him not actually seeing that many films. Yeah, yeah, that. He's going into this relationship with mm. just I do music, he does films. We're going to work together. Yeah, let's yeah. have a good time. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. Whereas people like us have got so much investment in the world of film that if we ever got invited to work in it, we'd first of all have to clean our pants and put on new pants. <laughs> yeah. What was you can either you can answer either or both of these questions. What was your first John Williams experience? What was the first score that you heard that was a John Williams, or alternatively, or at the same time? When did you realise that John Williams was behind all of your favourite scores? Um, I I I bought on tape the Jurassic Park soundtrack because um, mm-hmm. I absolutely loved it as a kid. I remember going to Woolworths for my pocket money and buying the Jurassic Park soundtrack. I've still got it on tape at home as well. And I remember my dad telling me that it was a it was a person who made this who created it because you know as a kid you don't know do you, you don't think yeah. oh yeah a guy a guy at home wrote that <laughs> <laughs> um and then i started to piece it together i started seeing his names on films like home alone as i was growing up and uh yeah i think that's when i put everything together and and realized that it was this one amazing talented guy who could write 
film music. <laughs> yeah. Does well, that answer your question? It answers at least one of them <laughs> quite well. <laughs> uh, what about you? Again, I, I just throw these back well, to the I, same I question. I would think the first time I heard John Williams would have been E.T. Yeah. yeah. Um, Should we talk about E.T. a bit more? We will go on to E.T. a bit okay, more. Okay, we're going to go on to but, that. Um, but obviously at that point didn't realise that it was John Williams. Yeah. And and like you say about Jurassic Park, like not just music, but films, You just at that point yeah. you don't even know that men or and women make these mm. products you just it's mm. almost like they just appeared in the in the atmosphere and, yeah, and there are these amazing things that you watch as part of growing up do you often, do you think as well that when you look back at you as a child remembering film music you might feel differently but um i specifically remember thinking of film music as being john williams like i don't you know as uh, from my childhood i don't really remember many other composers which sounds a bit harsh because there obviously are some very good um, composers, you know, like Jeremy, uh, Jerry Goldsmith and Alan Silvestri, Alan Silvestri, Back to the Future. Um, but it's, uh, yeah. Do, do you know? Do you understand what I'm saying? I know what you mean. It's as if that music was so powerful and so memorable that yeah. that was all there was, and that he, that that you can. It's almost like you kind of could apply bits of William scores to other films when you remember them. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, exactly that, and. The, the shades of John Williams in all of his films that link them together, do you know, they're, they're not like exactly the same, but when you hear little things, it's it's like the, the when your friend says, oh, sing the Star Wars theme tune. Oh, yeah. Sing Superman, sing Indiana sing Jones. Indiana, they're, yeah. they're similar, but they're completely different. And this, it, there's something about him that's interconnected across all of his work that, yeah, I don't know. And interestingly, um, Williams has said that uh the the actual those kind of big themes that you remember the most like da, 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 that those those few notes that make up those the melody like i just sung are the hardest thing that he has to do and that includes orchestrating an entire arrangement mm. but he spends the most time working on a set of five or six notes trying one note higher one note lower up and downs all the way through and just until he's found the perfect one uh but that's it, that does seem like that would be the easiest bit. Like he'd just suddenly he'd find himself humming it one day. But no, that's the most difficult bit. Yeah, because I, I guess when you're into a f- scoring in a film, you're then just scoring the emotion as you see it, but actually creating the overarching theme for something mm. that holds so much importance. You can imagine it taking quite a long time, actually, as well. Yeah. Well, actually, let's just let's move on right now to the the, the meatiest bit of this podcast, I think, which is our top three each. Williams cues. Have you got have you got a top three? And is it in order or is it just a three that you like most? Well I have a I have a I have a top four or five because it's impossible. You can't you can't narrow it down to a top three either. You only have three. <laughs> you uh, never know one of your top five might be in my top three. We haven't exchanged notes, so you know. Well, okay. So my top four. <laughs> <laughs> so in the top four is is uh, Star Wars. Which, what from anything in particular? From the Star main Wars? theme of Star Wars, right? As in the credit roll. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, Home Alone is up there as well. Which isn't one of the best films but it's it i think it's probably a generational thing for us maybe i don't know uh, jurassic park 
had that at, uh, not me and you we didn't we didn't get we didn't get married but uh we had that at our wedding and um uh, you played it actually you well you didn't play it you pressed the push this is, you pressed the play just button. confusing everything here i pressed play on a cd player in a church <laughs> while you got married and uh probably et flying as well well now we hit overlap have we well et e. flying is my number three. Oh, is it so it's your last one is it your number one or I would say it's up there. <laughs> non-committal, non-committal. I, I am being non-committal because it's too hard. He's written too many good stuff. Uh, good too stuff. many good stuff. What a line. <laughs> um, okay, let's talk about E.T. flying. Go. E.T. Flying is different to everything else he's done, which I think is a pretty bold statement. But I'll tell you why I think it's different. is because when you look at Star Wars and you look at Home Alone, you look at Jurassic Park, they've got these themes that start the films. Mm-hmm. They're these big overarching themes that then are kind of noted elsewhere in the film. Yeah. But you can correct me if I'm wrong, but E.T. has got this sense of... Um, the, the the notes and the melodies in flying in this big piece at the end, this epic piece at the end, uh, they're flavours throughout the rest of the film, yeah. and they're always hinted all the way through. There's got the, they've got this kind of familiar and familial feeling to them, like all the way through, and then it's this kind of operatic end where it all sort of crescendos into the big flying scene, and uh, it is just it's it's so well done, it's it's brilliant, and it is different to everything else he's done, I think. Well, what what I really like about it is that the the it starts when when the the cue flying starts. It actually starts with the famous melody, and you think, oh, that that is you know, it's like a massive that is like the crescendo. But then what happens? They're flying over the trees on the bikes, and that melody drops out, and then you get the sort of a this sort of strange, oh, I'm flying kind of. Music where there's there's a bit of brass, bah, 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 bum, bum, like that kind of thing. Mm. And you think, where's it going? And it starts building again. Yeah. And when the melody comes back again, it has like a hundred times more impact, mm. and it's the same melody. Yeah, yeah. It's and and it just suddenly like, well, it makes you cry basically. Yeah. Um, but you think how it's the same as I've heard it at the start of the cue, but this sudden drop into a build-up of, oh, now you know, it, it's kind of like the music saying, you know. Let, let yourself take a moment to understand what this flying moment actually means, mm. what it means to be on a bike pedaling over a forest. And then I'll just give you it again now yeah. because now you understand the majesty of what you're seeing. Yeah. Okay, so my number two is the uh, theme from Schindler's List. But it's not the uh, the famous opening version of the theme, which is uh, a solo by Itzhak Perlman on violin, but the reprise at the end, which... Um, for the first half is the is the theme played on a piano, which then stops and then a whole string section comes in and plays it. And I like it for lots of reasons. One, because it's probably the 
most tragic melody in the world ever. And after saying, after John Williams said that he wasn't a good enough composer to score a film like Schindler's List, he proved himself entirely wrong and proved himself to be the perfect person to do it, in fact. But it's the fact that it's played on piano. Um, and having listened to John Williams speak about composing Schindler's List and saying that he just had to sit quietly and just work through it on the piano and then show it to Steven Spielberg and then they both kind of had a, a moment where they were in tears together over it. It's like that moment is there for you to see it, well, to listen to. It's mm. John Williams just, just playing it on the piano and it's... But then for the, when the string section comes in and accompanies it, it just suddenly elevates it even more. So although it's the, probably the least Williamsy sounding moment of Williams' career, mm. it's one of my favourites. Yeah, that's very well. Very well articulated as well. Thanks. <laughs> um, yeah, th- it comes back to that point as well, doesn't it, of attaching emotion. You know, he- he's not he's not consciously attaching emotion there. He's actually just putting his own emotion into it of how he would feel. Yeah. Um, you know, for his own life experiences, as you would. And it's, uh, yeah, it's conveyed in a, in a pretty impressive way. Yep. So, my number one... Uh, controversial one go for it is the slave children's crusade from indiana jones and the temple of doom nice um it's amazing score of Temple of Doom all the way through is absolutely sensational for lots of reasons, one of which being that he completely reinvented the Indiana Jones sound from Raiders of the Lost Ark. You only hear the Indiana Jones hero theme Mm. a couple of times in Temple, and it's one of the times is when it's just the plane flying over the map to get from one place to the next. So all the themes are new, uh, and it's much darker, and Williams himself said that he loved Indiana Jones was amongst his favourite to ever compose because uh, it allowed him to compose in capital letters. <laughs> it was fun, um, and it just so meant... Just kind of go for it. We could just go all out, yeah. because the, there's, the, the nature of Indiana Jones is that it's tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. It continually seems to rise as well. It's one of those melodies that I think it drops. Um, it runs through its theme, and then it drops a fifth, and does the same again, and then it drops again, but in dropping it sounds like it's actually lifting. Mm-hmm. Uh and yeah, it's just, it's the perfect fun theme. And it reminds me of being a kid because Temple of Doom, I had it recorded off TV on VHS and it was one of those ones that I'd completely wore out. Um, it's the ultimate hero moment for me, the Slave Children's Crusade. So that's my favourite. Good answer. Thanks. I don't know if you read about him um, composing for the Air Force One band. Oh, sorry, the Air Force band. No. He, he, he was, I think he was in the Royal Air Force, not Royal Air Force. The American Air Force, U.S. Yeah. Air Force, <laughs> um, and he came out of that, and he was composer for them, and he would compose for I don't know, I guess there were their sort of films or documentaries on the Air Force. So he's learnt his trade by being the son of a jazz percussionist. That's right, um, being an amazing piano- pianist and and continuing learning his craft even into well for the rest of his life basically, but it's that that time there applying. Um, music to move an image mm. being the the starting point which then projected in, him into everything else like yeah. I say it's 
serendipity and, and all that, isn't it? And, and he said as well, which is really an interesting thing, because so many people grow up wanting to be like John Williams or like Steven Spielberg or mm. something in the film world. Um, and for John Williams, he grew up in a musical household mm. where he didn't... It wasn't... It, music was his aspiration. He has said that he just assumed you grow up to be a musician because that's what everyone he knew did. Mm. So he has, uh, he has had to retrospectively call himself lucky for what he's got to do mm. because he just basically, like any normal person, would go into an office and work their way up the ladder until they were the boss. Yeah. Um, he did that in the music world. Yeah, it, it's... Um it's so different to our time, isn't it? You know, when you you hear of people in their 60s, 70s, 80s, that, oh, yeah, I just fell into films. <laughs> I, I, I just I just fell into writing music for films. And he is the epitome of that. And we don't get that anymore because everyone, it's about trying to find a career, isn't it? You know, you, you, you want to become a director. You, yeah. you want to become a musical composer. But he got in there on raw talent, really, didn't he? Yeah. And just, and just wanting to work. Yeah. It wasn't that... You know, like you would modern day have the, oh, well, you better go to L.A. and knock on every door and yeah, have a meeting. Yeah. He moved, his family moved to L.A., so he applied for a job playing piano in an orchestra there yeah. and worked his way up. Yeah. I love John Williams. <laughs> He's in love. He's in love. I do love John Williams. I might be playing a CD in a church for you and John Williams getting married <laughs> in a couple of years' time. If this podcast gets to him, John, please. Just a picture of him with his baton. Yeah. <laughs> So I think we've probably reached the end there of uh, of everything. Well, not everything we want to say about John Williams, but, you know, we don't want to bore you and keep going on and on and on. Uh, and and I hope that in listening to us talking about John Williams, you'll just go away and listen uh, to the scores. There are, you know, there's lots of them on Spotify if you use that, YouTube, all the, all the usual places. Or even just, even better, go and pick up copies of every Spielberg film on Blu-ray or DVD mm-hmm. and just watch them. But be aware to listen as well as to watch, uh, and and you'll be amazed at what Williams has has managed to do in every one of his scores. We've actually uh, we've put a, we've put a um, playlist together for you as well. Oh yeah, we have. So uh, we'll post that on the uh, the blog post, and um, yeah, yeah, some of our favourites, all the ones we've talked about, and more. Uh, so listen to that if you've got your Spotify logged in. <laughs> God, I sound like a granddad. <laughs> um, and what I'd like to finish with, um, I, I watched an interview. Uh, with Steven Spielberg and John Williams uh, on YouTube, which is co- if you want to watch the whole thing, you just search Masterclass John Williams and, and you'll find it, uh, where they both spoke to a room full of uh, film students about their career together and how they've how their collaboration has, has made their careers better for both of them. But we, I'd like to finish with some words from the man himself, uh, speaking his own mind. And this was in response to uh, a cinematography student who stood up and said, um, well, asked... You know, they'd just finished their cinematography course. They didn't know what to do next. They, you know, what what can I do beyond networking? You know, if there's no chances there, there's no chances there. What am I supposed to do with my life if nothing happens? And this is what John Williams said to that person. And I think it's the perfect finish to this podcast. So thanks for listening. Don't forget to visit our website, which is www.cultoid.com. Our Twitter. Forward slash cultoid. Or well, it's twitter.com forward slash cultoid. At cultoid. Uh, it's that cultoid. <laughs> or if you've got something you want us to discuss in a uh, in another podcast, another topic you've got an idea for us, you can email us at cultoidweb at gmail.com. And until next time, I've been James. I've been James. We've been Cultoid. And this is John Williams. Thank you. People who have great ambitions, I guess all of us, to be 
you know, design a spaceship or to become a president or a senator. And there's so much disappointment. We, you know, so few people can ever really achieve what their dreams are. I'm sometimes suspicious of these great goals that we have in mind for ourselves because we can get tripped up and become disappointed and cynical and, and uh, uh, depressed about it all. Uh, few of us can design spaceships or become presidents or become Steven Spielberg. It may be better to get outside of ourselves and, and, and confront the, with, with joy and pleasure and a sense of opportunity every little simple task we're given rather than to try to do the big task, rather than to try to shoot Gone with the Wind, but, but, but do a postcard and then, and then grow from there, even though our eye is on the Gone with the Wind, maybe where it shouldn't be. Maybe, maybe that should be something that is a result of a, a path that, that leads to a goal. I certainly wish all of you great, great good success in your work. It's a good feeling that we have in the room here. I think we'll have some good, some good joyous production from all of you. Thank you.